Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. My name is Sally Irwin, and I serve as an elder in our congregation. This is the day that the Lord has made. <clears throat> let us rejoice and be glad in it. As we prepare for worship, let us bow our heads in prayer. We come to you, God, because we are thirsty. Our spirits need the refreshing water of your word, just as our bodies need the refreshment of a cool drink. We worship you with joy, for we can already feel the gift of your presence all around us. Now open our ears that we may hear all that you expect of us. Open our lives to your truth and prepare us to follow Jesus in accepting the unacceptable challenging the conventional, and joining together in a harvest for your realm. Amen. And now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in praise to the glory of God.
Will you please stand for the call to worship? Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name, for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Let us worship God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, costly grace confronts us as a gracious call to follow Jesus. It comes as a word of forgiveness to the broken spirit in the contrite heart. It is costly because it compels a person to submit to the yoke of Christ and follow him. It is grace because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Still, life can be messy, and we often fall short. 
So let us confess our sins to God so that we may receive the gracious mercy and forgiveness and come away with clean hearts. Let us pray. O God, we confess that we have been far more ready to say we believe than to trust you to lead us to new ventures of faithfulness. We are afraid of the evil that surrounds us. We fear rejection, failure, and ridicule. We admire Jesus, but it is difficult to follow in footsteps that lead to a cross. In the midst of life as we know it here, how can we catch glimpses of eternity? Save us, we pray, from our timidity and use our doubts as an entry to deeper faith. In Jesus' name, amen. As the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. words of that ancient creed that is eternally true. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now let us all greet our neighbors in the love of Christ.
Good morning. morning. Welcome to worship here at Church of the Palms, and we're so thankful that you're here with us today. Perhaps you have come to us from a far ways away, or perhaps you've come to us just from around the block, but regardless, we're glad that you're here with us, and we hope that you'll find this to be a place of welcome. We encourage you to fill out the friendship pads, which are in the pews, and pass those along to your neighbors so that we can note those folks who are near us, and hopefully you'll have a chance to connect name and face uh, after our service today. We invite you always to come out underneath the tree. I mean, this is the time to do it, right? What a beautiful day it is. So come out and enjoy some coffee and some conversation and perhaps take note of all the opportunities for you to be involved in our ministry here. Uh, There's always tables that surround that tree and opportunities for you to be a part of our life. We had a great weekend. Our Reignite retreat went off wonderfully. We had a full house and it was great. Many people have already uh, forwarded their comments to me about how much they have appreciated that time and we're grateful for uh, that uh, opportunity for people to explore what might be the next chapter of their life. So we're thankful for that. We are grateful also to have this evening our Bach uh, series and the chance for you to come and reflect together uh, with beautiful music uh, written by Johann Sebastian Bach. We've had a a continuing growing number of people who have come to be a part of that. Tonight we feature Jonathan and Genevieve who will be playing and uh, you won't want to miss that. It will be a beautiful evening. Next week we'll have full orchestra and we'll have as well uh, our choir singing. So Uh, It really is a treat and treasure, so we're delighted that we'll have that chance this evening at 6.30. A couple weeks from now, we'll have our Easter egg hunt, and uh, this is a great way for us to open up our doors to the community. We have lots of families and kids who come who wouldn't normally show up here, and we're delighted that they'll be there for that. You can help us uh, by providing us that, that spiritually physically sustaining food of candy. If you could uh, get us some bags of candy and some eggs and all that, you'll note that in your bulletin so we can use your help with that. Also, if you'd like to fill, uh, sign up for Easter flowers, it's hard to believe, but Easter is just three weeks away. Uh, is that right? Yeah, three weeks away. Um, you can do so. There are uh, envelopes in your pew and please feel free to use those. And we would be delighted for you to uh, include your uh, thoughts and memories as we celebrate Easter. Our Connect magazine will be available for you on your way out. Please grab one of those and take a look at that. Lots of interesting information about uh, things that are coming up, including our celebration of our 60th anniversary. It's hard to believe that Church of the Palms is already 60 years old, uh, one year older than me, but. So we uh, hope that uh, you'll take note of that. That'll be on April the 23rd, the Sunday after Easter. So uh, put that on your calendar and we'll be telling you more about that. Progress is happening on our construction site and we are grateful for that. A Couple more permits still we're waiting on that uh, get us going full force, but we're delighted to see some activity there and we're so grateful for your support of that effort. And as we talk about supportive effort, I'd like to invite Bob Barson to come forward and Bob is gonna give us an update on our generosity campaign. Thank you, Pastor Steve, good morning. The uh, stewardship campaign really never ends. It's an ongoing process. Uh, People continue to give their uh, commitments throughout the year. New members join, people return from vacations or other reasons. But we do like to take a checkpoint about a month into the campaign and see how we're doing. 
As a reference, a year ago at this point in the campaign, we had about 86% of the commitments that we ended up for the full year. At this point in our campaign this year, we're at 82%. So you can see that we're a little bit behind. But as the economist says, on the other hand, January contributions were greater than last year's and February's contributions were greater than last year. So we would really like to know if you're going to continue this increased support throughout the year by returning a commitment card. So <clears throat> look, take a look around your desk, see underneath your, uh, your tax return if you, that card's not there, or look at that stack of mail by the door, see if there are commitment cards still sitting there, or there are commitment cards in the back of the narthex that you can pick up as well. It's also been a year since we had the capital campaign. We have a multi-year campaign, just to remind you. Some of you have pledged one year, some have pledged for multiple years of, of giving. So traditionally or historically, campaigns like ours in the first year, and we're, we're through the first year of that campaign, typically receive about 45% of what's been committed for the total campaign. This church has given 53%, which is, is uh, committed to the campaign. So we're ahead in that regards also. So I want to thank you very much for your generosity and I look forward to a great year. We're grateful for your uh, leadership in that effort. Let's give Bob a big, big round of applause for his leading us in that effort. Bob loves to be applauded, I know that. <laughs> We would love to invite now those who are to be installed and ordained as uh, elders and deacons and shepherding deacons and Stephen ministers. If you would all come forward and take your place up here, you can be on the top, you can be on the bottom, you can be on the steps. There's a big bunch of you, so come on up. You're allowed to run. <laughs> come from top, from bottom, come from everywhere. Don't be shy. Get up there if you can. You can make your way up if you, you want. If some of you can come up to the steps. That's great. If you more than a few. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. And if you want, some of you want to stay on the floor. That's perfectly fine as well. So, yep, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, just come right over here. Yep, great. And we have some good folks there on the chancel who are being installed and ordained as well. So uh, this is a great thing about Church of the Palms. We don't lack for leadership. So uh, <laughs> that's a wonderful thing. We are delighted that we have this opportunity to um, uh, have this time when we can celebrate and rejoice in those who have responded to the call of God to be in leadership. Uh, some of these folks, and I'll have you raise your hands, are being installed and ordained as elders. If you could raise your hands. There you go. Okay, good. Some of you are being installed and ordained as executive committee of our deacons. So you can raise your hands for that. Excellent. And some are being ordained and installed as, uh, as our shepherding deacons. The shepherding deacons, well done. Yes, I think there's like 38 of you. And then uh, last but certainly not least, our Stephen ministers are being installed today. So raise your hand over there. I think that, that caucus is over here. So, uh, <laughs> so we are delighted that uh, you are here before us. And I would like to ask you these questions as you come to be ordained and installed as our newest leaders and Stephen ministers. 
Do you trust in Jesus Christ, your Savior, acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church, and through him believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you? Do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be, by the Holy Spirit, the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ and the church universal and God's word to you? Do you? Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the Reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of God? Do you and will you? Will you fulfill your office in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you? Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them subject to the ordering of God's word and spirit? Will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors and work for the reconciliation of the world? Will you? Do you promise to further the peace, unity and purity of the church? Do you? Will you seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? And will you, those of you who are to be ordained and installed as elders, will you be a faithful elder watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? And will you share in the government and discipline of this church, serving in the governing bodies of the church? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you? And to the deacons and shepherding deacons, will you be a faithful deacon, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to the friendless and those in need? In your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ, will you? And to the Stephen ministers, will you be a compassionate Stephen minister, willing to give one-to-one -one Christian care to those in need, and will you pray steadfastly for them? Will you keep both the identity and the concerns of your care receiver in confidence? Will you? And do you, the members of this church, accept these people as elders, deacons, and Stephen ministers chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? Do you? And do you agree to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church? Do you? Thank you. Now we're going to do you a favor and not make you kneel. <laughs> <coughs> but we will consider this a kneeling in spirit as we come and lay hands upon you. Any of you who are elders or deacons that wish to come and participate in the laying on of hands, come forward and we shall lay hands upon these good people as they come. You can step a little bit closer and I'll come up here and lay hands on you. Okay, gather around people. Let us pray. Gracious God, this is a beautiful sight. We are grateful to see so many people who have responded to your call to serve in so many different ways. Elders, deacons, shepherding deacons, Stephen ministers, all with their own particular calling, all with their own particular ministry, 
all with their own particular gifts. We thank you, O Lord, that by your Holy Spirit you somehow blend all of this together such that we can know that you are the one who creates the tapestry. You are the one who molds the church. You are the one who guides us such that we can be your light in the world. We pray, O Lord, that you will bless these people and that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit. We ask, Lord, that, that they would always keep their eyes trained upon you, that we would only follow them as we see them follow Jesus. We pray, O Lord, that you will lead our great church. Allow us, O Lord, to be humble before your spirit. Allow us to know and to be wise as to the ways that you would have us go. And allow us always to seek to serve you as we seek to serve your people, to be vessels of grace, so that the world may come to know through what we do and how we lead that there is a God who loves us through his own humility. All these things we pray in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Welcome to this ministry. Getting back to their seats, let us prepare our hearts for prayer. <clears throat> let us pray. Our most loving and gracious God, we give you thanks for having moved in our lives with your power and compassion, extending your mercy among us and all to the ends of the world. You enable us to live amidst an abundance of blessings. For all of this, we raise our praise and gratitude to you. As we give thanks to you, we remember those who are hungry and those who are homeless. And we pray for those who are suffering from illness of mind and body and soul. We pray that you will touch each of them according to their needs and your will. We pray for all those in leadership of nations, states, and local government. Safeguard those who stand in harm's way to protect us, we pray. Strengthen and encourage the first responders who serve us in the heat of the day and the days and nights. Now we bring all the prayers spoken and unspoken to you in the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who taught us to pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now let us continue to worship God through the giving of our give offerings. Please. 
Let us pray. Loving God, accept these our offerings and ourselves as a token of our love and gratitude to you and your generous love and blessings. And bless these and us so that we may be your channels of love, peace, and justice to all we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated as Carol and our children come forward. The Easter egg hunt is just two weeks away, so don't forget eggs and candy. We need to fill those Easter eggs. Come on up. How's everybody today? Okay, so I have three things. Three things I want you to tell me what they have in common, okay? But first I need somebody to, to tell me what a rooster, what sound a rooster makes. What does it make, Natty? Right, good job, okay. And then an alarm clock, what does that make? Let's see. Come on. Uh, an alarm clock, right, okay. Like that, oops, just needs a battery, I guess. Okay, the next thing is a parent. What do those three things have in common? What? Okay, see. Um, singing. Singing? What do you think, Reese? They all wake you up in the morning. They all wake you up in the morning. Yes. So what does your mom, what, what, what do you think? Um, they always tell you what to do. They always tell you what to do. <laughs> oh, we're going to tell, tell me what your parents say, Ben. They all make noise. They all make noise. They do. So who wants, who, who would like to get woken up in the morning by a rooster? Who gets woken up by a rooster? What about an alarm clock? Do you get, you get woken What about your parents? Moxie, what does your parents say? Wake up and get ready for school. That's right. <laughs> well, you know what? Some of our alarm clocks, like mine, have this little button on it. When you wake up, you can hit that button and go right back to sleep for a little bit. It's kind of nice, it's called a snooze alarm. And if you do it too many times, you, um, you might get yourself in a little trouble. See, the good thing is, well, actually, there's two problems with the snooze alarm, that when, if you keep hitting the snooze alarm, you might fall asleep and not wake up at all and miss something. And you might also, the second thing is, you might not hear your alarm at all and not hear it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like God's voice. God sends us a wake-up call sometimes, and he says, hey, it's time to wake up and follow me. You know that? It's like he's speaking to our heart, and he says, wake up, I'm here. But you know what? Sometimes we just hit that snooze button and say, not now, Lord. Call me in a little bit. And if we keep hitting that snooze button, we might not hear God's voice at all. That's right. That's exactly what happened in this Bible story that we're talking about. There was, Jesus tells a story about a rich man who wore fine clothes and he lived in luxury. And there was a beggar, his name was Lazarus, and he lay by the rich man's gate. Lazarus was poor and hungry and he had sores all over his body. And he was hoping that if he laid there, that rich man might take pity on him and give him some of his leftover food, right? Every day, that rich man walked right over Lazarus and didn't get him, pay him any attention. I imagine that he walked over him so many times that he didn't hear him at all, you know? Well, God wants us to hear his voice. 
And pretty soon, it told it, uh, it actually what happened in the Bible story is that Lazarus finally died and he went to heaven, right? The rich man, he died and he didn't make it to heaven. He went the other way. H-E double hockey sticks, that's what we call it sometimes. But La- the, the rich man looked up and saw Lazarus in the sky, in, in, in up in heaven with Abraham and he said, hey, can you help me down here? I'm a little thirsty. Abraham said, no, when you were on earth, you had many riches, you had lots of things, and Lazarus, he, Lazarus, he had nothing. He said, well, could you help? Could you send Lazarus down to my brothers and warn them? Tell them to follow God before it's too late? You know, God's still sending us wake-up calls today. Let us pray that we hear his voice and follow him. Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that when you send us a wake-up call, that we don't hit that snooze button and say, later, Lord, that we will rise up and follow you. Amen.
thank you in advance for being gentle with me after that Michigan loss. We We also need to pray for those Florida Gator fans to be a little bit more humble. <laughs> Just so that you're not concerned that I have forgotten to read the scripture, we will be reading that in a few moments. But toward that end, let us pray. Gracious God, we pray that you will open our minds, our hearts, such that we will hear your word. And then in hearing your word, then wonder what your word would say to us. And then in wondering what your word would say to us that we would find courage from your Holy Spirit to live it. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen. I have twice had the privilege of touring the battlefields and beaches of Normandy, France the scene of perhaps the greatest naval and air invasion in the history of warfare, the Normandy invasion of June 6, 1944, D-Day, the turning point of World War II. Every stop in Normandy is an overwhelming experience and the scale of human sacrifice laid upon those beaches and within those hedgerows is humbling. One cannot walk away without a profound sense of gratitude for what price has been paid for the freedoms we so casually enjoy. Perhaps one of the most impressive parts of touring Normandy is to see the remnants of the extensive and intricate fortifications of defense laid out by Field Marshal Rommel and the German army. Miles and miles in every direction, the Germans built bunker after bunker, gun encasement after gun encasement, cement fortresses from which to repel the Allied advance. Years it took to construct this concrete line of defense only to have it overrun in a matter of several hours by the Allied Armada coming to shore and pushing ahead. Today in Normandy you have the chance to walk within and around these German strongholds and fortifications and to feel how desperate the Nazis were to hold on to this land that they had stolen from free peoples. On one of my visits while walking the bluffs of Omaha Beach, I took the chance to stand where once a German soldier stood in a small machine gun bunker with a perfect view out onto the English Channel and imagined what must have gone through his mind when early on the sixth day of June, he saw appear out of the mist the Allied invasion of some 500,000 soldiers. It is not always good to be in a defensive posture. And it got me to thinking some about being on the defensive. And I began to wonder about the lines of defense that I had managed in my own life to put around myself. What, what territory I had claimed in my mind, my heart, my soul, that I was now outlining with bunkers and encasements such as to prevent the invasion of some outside force. It's one of the things that goes along with being a human being, isn't it? We have a propensity of being defensive. Ever since we were young, we had put ourselves on the defense. When I was a little boy, my gang of friends and I used to play war, and war was all about protecting your turf. 
When you were young, you remember when your mom or dad caught you doing something that you weren't supposed to be doing. Was there not something instinctive within you to go on the defensive, to make an excuse, to deny culpability, to explain why you had to do it and why perhaps you were the one who did not start it? I think the older we get, the more defensive we get. Each year brings a little more solidification in the things that we believe and the things we hold opinions about. We claim our turf in heart, mind, and soul, and we build our bunkers and mount our guns, and we establish our lines of defense around all those things we have claimed. We have political defenses, we have theological defenses, we have emotional defenses, we have spiritual defenses, relational defenses, we have our intellectual defenses, and we fortify ourselves against whatever outside forces that may be offshore that wish to come and change us. I guess that's why they say never bring up religion and politics in polite conversation, because that's when people get defensive, sometimes offensive, and it has its way of spoiling a good dinner party. Being on the defensive, I suspect, is something good to have in mind when we open up our Bibles. Christians, and certainly Presbyterians, have said for a long time that the Bible is the word of God, that God is trying to speak to us through the Bible. And God knows what God's trying to say to us. Likely, God is trying to tell us different things because we all come from different places and we all have our different issues. Nevertheless, we presuppose that God might have something to say to me. And what might that be? When you open up your Bible, what do you imagine will happen? What cat will come out of this bag? What horse will leave this barn? What, what force will be unleashed? Do you expect that something is going to happen in this book? Do you imagine the consequence of you opening it will be somehow an inalterable change in your life? Or is the Bible not that kind of book? Is the Bible sort of like the collected works of Shakespeare, lovely sentiment, intriguing drama, compelling truths, but in the end, nothing that will really change me? Private might come from our defenses. We may think and say that the Bible is a life-changing book, but it might be that we have not done so well with our defenses. We have instead constructed this impenetrable wall. We have built high a fortress, and there isn't much chance for this invading force to make its way in. So I wonder about that in preparing to read this morning another one of Jesus' parables. Now, the definition of a parable, as I've said before, is a story that is being told about you, but it takes you a while to figure out what about you is being told. <laughs> In other words, parables are jokes about you, and sometimes it takes a while to figure out what part of you the joke is about. It's kind of like Presbyterian minister jokes. <laughs> I think I've heard them all. And I have laughed politely at all of them and realized that in each of them, there is probably a little bit of truth. So Jesus starts the story and says, there was a rich man. Now, I don't know how many times I have read this story and it did not dawn on me that the rich man was me. 
the story was being told about me. Every time I read this, I read the story, I thought about other people who were, had more money than me. And I imagined that Jesus was talking about them and that I, as a preacher, could tell the story about them. And I had built my defenses around my own wealth, created my fortress around my financial affairs, and convinced myself that Jesus really couldn't be talking about me. I had repelled the invading force. Now, of course, the truth is I am one of the richest people in the world. No, I did not win the lottery last night. I just have a salary that is probably about eight times the worldwide average. Eight times. So when Jesus starts his story and says, there was a rich man. The story, it turns out, is about me. The joke is on me. So what about you? What part of this story is about you? Let's have a read. Luke chapter 16, beginning at the 19th verse. Jesus speaks and says, There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who longed to satisfy his hunger with what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs would come and lick his sores. The poor man died and was carried away by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was being tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in agony in these flames. But Abraham said, Child, remember that during your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner evil things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. Besides all this, between you and us is a great chasm that has been fixed so that those who might want to pass from here to you cannot do so, and no one can cross from there to us. He said, Well then, Father, I beg you to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may warn them so that they will not also come into this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. They should listen to them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. So it may be hitting close for us here in Florida when Jesus tells us a story about a man who lives in a gated community. It may be that fact alone that wakes us up when we hear that story. And I suppose it would be a big mistake for any of us to think that since I don't live in a gated community that this story has nothing for me. Full disclosure, I live in a gated community. The truth is the rich man has got himself a defense. And it's a good enough defense for him to consider for him not to consider the sick man who is outside his gate. And we hear the story and we say to ourselves, what kind of man is this who would ignore this poor sick man? 
But you see, that's the thing about defenses. They have their way of keeping us from seeing what should be as plain as the nose on our face. So you can get yourself, for example, into a political argument these days, and you can be so defensive so as to not see that your conversation partner, your debate partner, is actually talking a little sense. She actually has a good point. God forbid you recognize that. I got myself into a little texting theological argument this week with a friend. Note to self, texting theological arguments never end up well. <laughs> <clears throat> but later I scrolled back and read the argument and I was so impressed with how little I was listening. So impressed with how little I was listening and how angry I was as I read through that argument that my friend actually had something legitimate to say. He had something for me to hear, but I couldn't hear it because I had built this wall that wouldn't allow me to. So the gospel turns into good news, I think, when we let our defenses down enough to let the armada of grace come to shore. Martin McGinnis died this week. You probably read a little bit about Martin McGinnis. Martin McGinnis was for quite a while a leader in the Irish Republican Army. He likely conspired in many attacks against British Protestants. He was radical in his beliefs and deadly in his pursuit of them. And that is the first half of the story of Martin McGinnis. The second half of the story has Martin in 1998 as one of the key brokers in the Good Friday peace agreement between the Irish and the British that for the most part put an end to the troubles of which he among many was an instigator. Radical terrorist, peace broker, and somewhere in between, some invading force penetrated. Few knew what, few knew when, but somehow the defenses went down enough and this man allowed himself to be changed and a greater good came as a result. The New Testament pulls no punches when it tells us of a religious terrorist named Saul who rounded up early Christians and got them jailed and stoned and killed. One bad dude. But somewhere along the way, the defenses went down and the voice got heard and the light got in and Saul the terrorist became Paul the apostle to the Gentiles, author of half the New Testament. C.S. Lewis spent the first 30 years of his life defending himself against the possibility of the existence of God. But little by little, book by book, friend by friend, the defenses went down enough for him to actually consider the possibility. And then in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, he writes this. He writes, you must picture me alone in that room in Maudlin College, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady and unrelenting approach of him who I so earnestly desired not to meet. 
That which I greatly feared had last come upon me. And in the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God and knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. Are you resisting in any way the invading force of grace? Is there some change that God might have in store for you, some new life that God wants to give you, that you are hold, but you are holding on to whatever it is that you are holding on to that keeps you from accepting it? Is it possible that for you, that, that for that rich man in purple robes, that the invading force of grace turned out to be that poor man at the gate? If only he had let him in, if only he had seen the eternal connection between the two, he would have found perhaps the glory of God. Lewis later writes, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Is it possible that in Jesus' parable, that rich man locked himself into defensiveness because he had already chosen his hell, thinking that he had arrived at his place when actually it was a dead end? He had grown content in his own making, in his own opinion. He had created his own righteousness, his own line of defense. Remember that story by Flannery O'Connor called Revelation? It's about a southern woman, Mrs. Turpin, who has, a, who has a clear view of everybody else's faults. She has been given the spiritual gift of judging how good or not good her friends, her neighbors, and enemies are. It's this defensive measure to keep secure her own prejudices. It's this outer shell that she uses to protect herself. And at the end of the story, she has this vision of a line of people who are going up to heaven as if climbing Jacob's ladder. And she sees at the beginning of the line of all these people who are going to heaven, she sees at the beginning of the line all those she never dreamed would go to heaven. All those people from her prejudices, all those folks who she knew had a reason not to be there. And then she sees at the end of the line of all those people going to heaven, she sees people like herself who believed like she believed and who were good like she was good, and they were at the end of the line. And O'Connor writes, they were marching behind the others with great dignity, accountable as they had always been for good order and common sense and respectable behavior. They alone were the ones who were singing on key. Yet they, she could see by their shocked and altered faces that even their virtues were being burned away. Even their virtues were being burned away. So I wonder about my defenses. I'm wondering about all those barriers I put up to the grace of God. I, I wonder about my wealth. I wonder about my trappings of self-sufficiency. I wonder about all my self-perceived virtues that need to be burned away. My fortresses of lifestyle and opinion that need to be surrendered. I'm wondering about the gates I lock myself behind, the defenses that keep out the poor, those people to whom I am eternally linked. Because the truth is, the armada of grace is upon us on the shore in Jesus Christ. He has come to capture me. He has come to capture you. 
all of me and all of you. And it's time to lay down our arms, step out of our bunkers, and surrender.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.